Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. Alright, so what we've been talking about uh, over the last few weeks is we've been in a series on people screaming at God and getting away with it. And um, I started, I guess you could say part A last week, and I'm gonna be finishing up part B this week. And we looked at the book of Jonah. Jonah is a minor prophet for the Northern Kingdom of Israel. The, the, The story took place in the eighth century uh, BC, Jonah's name actually means dove, and he is the son of a man by the name of Amittai, which means truth. So Jonah, by personage, was the son of truth, and his name meant dove. And what we talked about last week is, it's funny how God loves to use the unusual suspects of humanity. I mean, Jonah was like the Peter of the Old Testament. If you want to look at a racist prophet that God chose to use, then you can read this story and it will absolutely blow your mind. And see, I think in Sunday school, we talked about this last week, he kind of gets a really bad rap, okay? Uh, We all remember those green velvet boards where our Sunday school teacher uh, used sermon illustrations by way of pictures to present the text, the word of God to us when we were young, right? And, And Jonah was just this disobedient prodigal prophet that ran away from God. But there's a reason why he ran away from God. All right, the first reason why he ran away from God is the Assyrian Empire was the most bloodthirsty, ruthless people group that were in existence in that day, all right? They were literally uh, known for going into villages and decapitating the heads of the men and then making pyramids outside of the village so people would walk by and say, I'm not messing with the Assyrians. And I didn't say this last week, but they were also experts at human skinning. They were absolutely ruthless. They perfected this art. So Jonah did not want to go to to this enemy of Israel. They were literally paying taxes. Israel was paying taxes to the Assyrian Empire so that the Assyrian Empire would not invade. Later, after Jonah's, uh, I guess you could say, tenure as a prophet, they invaded uh, Samaria and they destroyed the capital of the northern kingdom. And what we talked about last week, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get you guys caught up, but the point one I said was that there's always a boat going in the wrong direction. There's always a boat going in the wrong direction. There was no way that Jonah in his right mind would go and witness to his enemy. He hated them, right? And what we said was Jonah's nationalism got in the way of the Great Commission, right? And see, we're kind of seeing culture right now overlaying this text and we're seeing the reality of this revelation from this word play out in front of us. There is so much division right now. There's division in our country. I mean, there's division in the major cities, right? And the thing is, if we're not careful, we're going to allow the division to keep us from being missional as a church. There's been a fire that has been literally just uh, it's, it's just starting in our belly and it's coming out of our mouth and it's, it's actually moving into our behavior as a church. This fall, 
we are going to reclaim the Great Commission. And I believe that this is like a great launching pad where we can glean from and we can start and we can look at the book of Jonah. There's always a boat going in the wrong direction. There's always an opportunity an opportunity to fail. There's always an opportunity to rebel against the voice of God. There is always going to be a boat in the wrong direction with your name on it, right? The moment you decide to diet, there's always going to be something by the way of food put in front of you to try to steal the days that you've had of eating clean and sticking to your diet, right? The moment you decide to get sexually pure and say, you know what, I'm going to set no worthless thing before my eyes. You're going to walk by the television and there's going to be something playing that tries to distract you from your covenant and your commitment that you made with the Father, right? There's always a boat going in the wrong direction. And I really want to say this, and this is going to kind of bridge into this week, but I want to say it and I'm going to say it again. If you have an assignment, God is not going to leave you alone. You better, listen, you better give up, right? This whole theology that says, well, God will just use someone else if he, you know, if I rebel too long, he will just use someone else. Not according to this text, right? If you've been predestined to be used by God, you better just throw up your arms and surrender and allow God to have his way with you and with your life because you're not going to get out of it, right? Ask Jonah how that worked out for him running, right? Nineveh, 500 miles to the east. He goes 2,500 miles to the west. Nineveh, by land, he goes by sea. He went in the opposite direction. Ask Jonah, right? if he can get out of the will of God. Ask Jonah if there was another prophet that God wanted to use. No, 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 no. If you have an assignment, God is not gonna leave you alone. We see in chapter one that there was a storm. We talked about three storms um, kind of in scripture in life. One storm is the storm that we uh, we can do nothing about. It's just the storm of Romans chapter 5, verse 12. By one man, sin entered into the world. Every storm that comes upon us, right, we have to discern rightly of, of why it's coming upon us. There's some storms that just happen because we live in a fallen world. And then there's some storms, right, that happen because God sends, God sends these storms. And see, we don't like to talk about this. We think that God is a loving father and he absolutely is. But you want to know what he also is? He's a righteous judge, right? And, and, and the Bible says that judgment must begin in the house of God. So if you're a believer and you're disobeying and you're dealing with conflict and you're dealing with what looks like a storm, you have to take an inventory of your, of your life and of your relationship with Jesus to see if you've been making the right decisions. So there's the storm that we can't control and then there's the storm that God sends, right? And then there's the storm that comes to our house, comes to our life, because sometimes the storms around us are caused by having the wrong people in our boat. See, we just look at Jonah, right? Jonah's storm came upon the boat because he was in disobedience, but there was these pagan sailors that were actually with him that actually had to deal with Jonah's storm. Right. They were pagan, right? They didn't know Yahweh, but they were at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person. And because of that situation and because of that circumstance, they were dealing with someone else's storm. All right. So look to the person to the next to you and said, let's get to the new stuff. Say, say, come on, pastor. Say pastor with an H, right? 
pasta. We got to get to the new stuff, right? All right, so Jonah chapter 2, and we're going to read the first 10 verses. Jonah chapter 2, 1 through 10. Y'all pray for me because I got to get through three chapters in about 27 minutes. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. This is very interesting. It says, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. <laughs> I'm gonna talk, I'm, I don't want to get distracted. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet shall I look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land. Listen to this. Whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord. And my prayer came to you and to the holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. They call that scripture the Acropolis of the Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. See, what's interesting about this is there's a few different interpretations of what was going on. One interpretation was there's a fish, and, and listen, I don't believe it was a whale because there's actually different Hebrew word for whale than there is for fish. I believe that there's a fish. I believe the Bible chose to use the word fish for a reason. So one interpretation is there was a fish and it swallowed Jonah and he was sustained supernaturally right into the belly of that, that, that fish. Another interpretation was God had like a shield around him and literally protected him alive when he should have died. And the third interpretation, this is actually the most, um, I guess you could say heavily debated of interpretations uh, from scholarly resources was, and I, and I tend to believe this one, that Jonah actually died. That Jonah actually died. Because he says, I cried out unto you from the belly of Sheol. Sheol was actually a department of hell, right? That the, actually some of the righteous people went to before Jesus came. And he says, the bars closed upon me forever. So it seems to indicate that literally Jonah had a dying moment, right? And I believe it's, it's kind of prophetic, right, and profound that Jesus actually uses this story and says, just as Jonah was three days and three nights, right, in the belly of the fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So there was actually like a place of death for Jonah. There was a place of struggle for Jonah. But you see, like, there's a reason why God sent a fish. Look to the person to the next of you and say, there's a reason why God sent a fish. All right. There's a reason why you've been through what you've been through. Listen, it's, it's not just coincidence. It's not, there's no coincidences in the kingdom of God. Listen, I'm not saying God willed it. I'm not saying God condoned it, but I'm saying God will use it providentially and sovereignly. There was a reason why a fish swallowed 
Jonah. And let's look, uh, Pastor Dan, if you can put up that slide real quick. See, the Assyrians worshipped a god by the name of Dagon. It was half man, half fish, okay? That's good. You can take that away, Pastor. They worshipped a god by the name of Dagon. So, God knows how to get the world's attention through our story, right? So imagine this, right? There's a man that was in the belly of a fish, and the moment that man was vomited out of that belly of that fish, he was half man, half fish. Do you see it? Do you see how God is actually using Jonah's testimony, right, to redeem the nations? Look at this, point one. If you want to know your assignment, take note of your struggles. If you want to know your assignment, take note of your struggles. Listen, Jonah had to go through something. Jonah had to be crushed so he could be used by God. There's a, there's a guy by the name of Henry Nowen, right? And he, he writes about what Jesus did with the bread. And this is what he said. He says, what Jesus did with the bread, he also does with us as disciples, right? Every time Jesus touched bread, when he's feeding the 5,000, when he's feeding the 4,000, at the Last Supper, at the end of the Gospels, he takes the bread, he blesses the bread, he breaks the bread so he can give the bread. Listen, before God can give you a way to a world that needs your testimony, you gotta go through something. You gotta go through the belly of your fish. You gotta smell like something so they know, man, this person's past looks like my present. And I think it's so prophetic, listen to this, that really what's happening is the Ninevites must have been saying this, you have been delivered from what I've been worshiping. Come on. You've been delivered from what, from what I have been worshiping. What were they worshiping? They're worshiping half man, half fish. A man is spit up on dry, dry ground and he says, look, I got a testimony for you. And I find it fascinating that like most scholars believe that Jonah was probably albino by this point. Like he was three days and three nights literally in, in this fish's belly probably just dead, right? And literally what's going on is the stomach acid is actually bleaching his skin. So even his body looks like it's changed. Like he's walking through. It says that it took a three-day journey to go through Nineveh. That's probably like the diameter of Atlanta. Usually it's about 55 to 60 miles, 15 to 17 miles a day by travel. And could you imagine a man that had just been in the belly of a fish, something that they had been worshiping, they're going to listen to him, right? So if you want to know your assignment, take note of your struggles. What have you went through? It's not just for you. Don't, listen, don't allow your past not to speak to the people that are hurting around you. Don't waste the hurt from your past. Use it as fuel to fulfill the Great Commission. Use it as fire to touch this dead world around us that needs to know your story. I'm reminded of Luke chapter 10, um, it's, we call it the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? This person, he's, he's left dead, beat up on the side of the road. And listen, a priest passed by him, a Levite passed by him, and then a Good Samaritan comes up to this person and actually picks him up 
and takes him to the inn. But see, the good Samaritan was carrying something that the priest and the Levite weren't carrying. He was carrying items of crushing. What's wine? It's grapes that had been crushed. What's oil, right? It's olive that's been, olive uh, fruit that had been crushed, right? He was carrying things that had been crushed because of what he had been through. You have to have moments of crushing because people need to hear your story. So if you wanna know your assignment, take note of your struggles. What have you been through? Don't waste it. Listen, I'm not saying that God condoned the divorce. I'm not saying God condoned the adultery. God condoned the addiction. But what I am saying is this, that God will use it if you allow him to. Point number two, your testimony is someone else's prophetic word. Woo, come on. Your testimony is someone else's prophetic word. The Bible says in Revelation the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, right? So my testimony is your prophetic word, right? What I've been through, the crushing that I've been through, the belly of a whale that I've been through, my story, right, that is redeemed is your prophetic word, right? Jonah goes to the Ninevites. His story of being delivered from this fish was their prophetic word. His story from being delivered from the belly of this fish was their present testimony. They were delivered from this false god of worship because Jonah went and he didn't stay still, but he says, I am going to be faithful to my assignment and I'm not going to waste the pain of my past. We can't waste the pain of our past, you see, but we have to be real about this. See, we have to actually admit our failures. We have to become vulnerable and transparent to the people around us. That's the thing, like, like if you don't have a testimony, you're, you're literally walking in hypocrisy right now. You're covering your testimony up because you're afraid to show your scars. You're afraid to show your wounds. You're afraid to show what you've been through. People need to see your scars. Literally, the best thing that someone can hear that's coming out of a life-altering, controlling issue, struggle, you put what, whatever the issue is, whatever the conflict is, whatever name you want to put on it, the best thing that they can hear is, me too. I've been through it. By my God, I walked through it, and I defeated it. And my testimony is your prophetic word. Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Jonah didn't waste his pain. So let's go to chapter three. Chapter three, verse one. Woo, I'm sweating. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I love this. Aren't you glad that God speaks to us a second time and a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time, aren't you glad that, that God will speak to you again and again and again? This is the thing. Well, how do I know his will for my life? He will speak it again and again and again and again and again. Listen, God is not silent. We're deaf of hearing. That's why the most often phrase that Jesus used in the New Testament was this. Those that have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The word of the Lord came a second time to Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. 
Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. For time's sake, I'm not going to finish the, the rest of the verses in this particular chapter, but long story short, Jonah goes to the city. He declares the word of the Lord. I personally believe that like, he probably did the minimal because I think that Jonah literally is still dealing with a little bit of nationalism and racism. We'll see this in chapter four when we camp out here for a little bit. But I believe he did the minimum, like he only said what? Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I bet he only said eight words the whole time, right? He did the minimum of what God wanted him to do. But it is, isn't it amazing that when you're called and chosen by God, as long as you go and declare the word of the Lord, people are gonna change. People are not going to change with your word. People are gonna change because you're declaring the word of the Lord. People are going to change because your testimony is lathered with oil from the Holy Ghost that brought you through something. Look to the person to the left of you and say, God has brought me through something. God has brought me through something. God is bringing you through something. Jonah is actually fulfilling the word of the Lord here. Now go to chapter four and we're gonna camp out here until the end of time. Not to the end of time, to the end of our time this morning. That would be a really long message, wouldn't it? Okay, chapter four, verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. This is after, listen, this whole nation repents. And let me just say this, that repentance always starts at the top for a nation. Listen, let me, let me tell you something. If you don't like our president, you still need to pray for our president. Well, I, I just don't I, I don't, I know I think he needs to get off Twitter too, I get it. But I think we need to pray for him and declare the word of the Lord for him and pray for godly wisdom, especially what he's going through, right? So the king of Nineveh, right? actually repents and repentance actually goes down to the people. He calls a fast. He puts on sackcloth. He lays in ashes. And listen to what he does. He actually comes off his throne, right? He comes off his throne, right? When men, comes off their, when men come off their thrones, nations will be healed, right? So they repent. The nation repents, right? And then chapter four, Let's see how the prophet responds with the nation's repentance. Chapter four, verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Here it is. He's screaming. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I don't know if he was really praying. I think he was probably whining and shouting. Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Listen, he gives you a key of why he didn't want to go. Yes, he didn't want to go to the barbarians, to the bloodthirsty Ninevites, but this is why he says he doesn't want to go. He says, this is why I didn't go. My God, he says, you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He's actually quoting Exodus chapter 34. And this right here is the most used scripture in the Old Testament. Do you see this? This is the most used scripture in the Old Testament, that God is gracious, God is merciful, God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, 
for it is better for me to die than to live. He gets really suicidal here, watch this. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Take note of your anger. It'll show you what's on the inside of you. Do you do well to be angry? See, isn't it fascinating the progression of this? Chapter one, God speaks to Jonah. Chapter two, Jonah speaks to God. Chapter three, God speaks through Jonah. And then chapter four, God and Jonah are speaking. This is a conversation they're having. And God's like, hey, is it really right for you to be angry right now? Listen to what Jonah says. Jonah goes out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Do you see this? There's like, what? A wind, a whale, a worm, right? Look at this. So that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. There he goes again, being suicidal. It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I, I have also have pity on the Nineveh, Ninevites, on Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Listen to this. Most scholars believe that the 120,000 persons that don't know their left hand or their right hand are actually children, toddlers right here, right? That don't even know their left and right hand. They're not old enough to realize what's going on, right? So most scholars believe that there was anywhere from 600 to 700,000 people in this city. This was the greatest revival recorded in history up to this point, right? And what's fascinating is Jonah is pitching a fit as a prophet. Why is he pitching a fit? It's because he goes, he finally obeys God, he preaches, and then he sits back, and literally he's waiting on God to judge his enemy. Remember what's going on. His sense of nationalism is getting in the way of the Great Commission. Listen to this. People that are self-righteous think they have a patent on the mercy of God. People that are self-righteous think they have a patent on the mercy of God. What does that mean, right? It means that I deserve the mercy of God despite what I've done, but you don't. I have a patent on it. It's only for me. And do you see this? This is why the book of Jonah overlays Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost sons, not just son, right? Chapter one and two, he's the prodigal prophet. Chapter three and four, he turns into the elder brother. At this point, he builds this little shack, right? And God, I love what God does. He's always providing sermon illustrations in our life. <laughs> he's always using things that happen to us to teach us. To, to pull out righteousness within us, God appoints a plant to cover his little hut that he makes. 
And literally Jonah is chilling. He's relaxing. He's on his lazy boy, waiting for Nineveh to be destroyed, right? And then God's like, I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to use situations to reveal the heart within you. Because this is the thing. Situations don't cause heart issues. They reveal them, right? So I'm going to appoint this worm to actually, I wonder how big this worm was, honestly. But it, it obviously was big enough to devour this plant. So then Jonah is exposed. The sun is scorching him. An east wind is coming upon him. He's getting wind burn. And then he's watching nothing happen to the Ninevites. And God has this conversation with him. And God is saying, Jonah, you are so self-righteous. You think that the mercy of God is only for you. And beloved, this is what we have to understand. At one time, if you were an unbeliever, scripture says that you were an enemy of God. We were all enemies of God. Romans 8 says our flesh is actually an enemy of God. And what God is saying here, listen up right now. What God is saying here is I'm going to teach you how to show mercy to your enemies by how I treat you. Because at one time you were my enemy, right? But I'm going to love you and I'm gonna have patience on you. I love what the word patience means. It means macrothumos in the Septuagint. That's, that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Macrothumos, macro means long. Thumos is where we get the word thermometer. So literally what it means that God is saying, it takes me a long time to heat up and burn with anger. I want you to look to the person the next of you and say, God is patient with me. Macrothumos, he is slow to anger with me. And the thing is, it's funny, is we want the mercy of God individually, but we want God to judge our enemies. And see, as a nation right here, especially for those, and I'm just gonna say it, sometimes in the South, we can be so self-righteous, right? We're like, what's going on in Portland? They're pitching a fit. LA, they're pitching a fit, right? New York, why are they doing all this? Man, let's just send in the feds and all. And I understand the reason for that, but there's something in us that wants God to judge the people around us and yet show mercy to us. And what God is saying here is, Jonah, I am patient to your enemies. And see, the root of racism is self-righteousness. The root of racism is self-righteousness. We become racist three different ways. Let me go through them real quick and then we're gonna end. Number one, generationally. Remember, Jonah was a nationalist. He came from the nation of Israel and see fathers impart the greatness of that nation, right? So, so we become, no one comes out of the womb being racist. Hear me, no one comes out of the womb of their mother being racist. They are taught to be racist. They are taught to see skin color. Ask me how I know, all right? Listen to this. My mother and my father are absolutely amazing and they actually taught me not to be racist. My dad's father, this, they lived in Bonifay. We call it LA, Lower Alabama, you know what I'm saying? And his father taught him to be racist, okay? And I remember I would go over to my grandfather. Let me say this about my grandfather. He's passed he was a man of integrity, a man of truth. He was a man of God. But in this particular way, he missed it. And I would go over to his house and I would hear him, you know, make the racial slurs, the end this, the end that. And listen to my, my, my father, the moment I was in the car, 
my father within 30 seconds would say, I have a good dad, but he's wrong in this area. We don't say that, son. We only see one color, and that is the children of the living God. And my father generationally broke the cycle of racism, and now I'm not racist, and my kids are not going to be racist, but racism continues because generationally we impart it. We say, you need to be suspicious of white people. Oh, you got to watch those black people. Oh, man, you can't trust Jews. What do you think that does to a child? The moment, listen, the moment they get hurt, that seed of mistrust imparted generationally, right? That's when hurt becomes hate. Hurt becomes hate, especially when someone defiles us and our parents said that it might happen. And then number three, listen to this, Jonathan Edwards He said this, he said, whenever we idolize, we will end up demonizing. Stay with me. When we so put our race, our culture, our community, what I look like, my skin tone, on the throne, and I idolize it, everyone else that doesn't look like me, I will demonize. Right? That's when my preference becomes my preference, but it also causes my prejudice to people that don't look like me. Jonah was a racist and God had to deal with his racism towards Nineveh. And what's interesting is God actually uses natural elements, things he created to get his attention. And what bottom line, what God was saying was, your comfort in who you are as a self-righteous prophet is more important to you than their eternal state. And see, I think one of the greatest indictments on the local church today, right? Not ours, because we're actually getting out there and doing something to the community around us. But one of the greatest indictments in the American church is our comfort. The greatest, I believe, idol in America, and especially in the American church, is our comfort. We wanna be like Jonah, we wanna post up on our little religious house called self-righteousness, and we want to judge the world around us because they don't look like us. But you see, God, he's going to deal with that. He's going to deal with that. How does he deal with that? Remember, sometimes he turns up the heat around us. Sometimes he causes the storm to come upon us. And the way that self-righteousness is revealed in us is when we observe the lack of righteousness around us. And right now, it seems like the lack of righteousness is absolutely coming to an all-time high, which is really not. It's just the media is now broadcasting it more, so we're seeing more of it. So we're seeing all this lack of righteousness around us. You know what that's doing? It's magnifying the self-righteousness within us. Bottom line is we serve a God that is gracious and merciful, abounding in loving kindness, and he is for you, just as he is for your enemy. And if we could just so get the heart of God concerning that. See, what God was saying to Jonah was, you were weeping over the plant, but I've been weeping over the Ninevites. And if you could just join with me and who I'm weeping over, the self-righteousness would be washed out of your eyes and washed out of your heart because you would start seeing the world the way I intended for you to see the world. And that is a world that needs your testimony. And that's a world 
that doesn't need any more of your self-righteousness. So Church of Jesus Christ, New Hope Church, let's turn it up in our evangelism. Let's turn it up in reclaiming the Great Commission. Let's lay down the prejudice. Let's stop judging what we're seeing all around us. And let's talk to our neighbor. Let's talk to our waitress. Let's talk to the barista at Starbucks. Let's talk to the person that's checking us out in the store. And you know what? If they're having a bad day, don't tell them they're having a bad day. But how about you show him who your God is by being merciful and patient and abounding in loving kindness. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.